You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. That's right, kids. We are back and we are finishing up our countdown to Halloween because Halloween is right around the corner and some of you actually might be listening to this after Halloween. Hope you had a great time. Hope you got lots of candy and all kinds of good stuff. But it's always good to be talking about Halloween because we have the man who lives for Halloween, Mr. Mike Gordon here. Howdy. Are you ready, sir? You know, even after Halloween, it's just prep for next year's Halloween. So that's you know, true. You can, you can never, you can never start preparing for. It's like Dragon Con. You can never start preparing too early. That is true. So with this episode, what are we talking about this week, sir? We are. It's a the uh, we're it's an installment of the Earth Station One Book Club, and we are reviewing Frankenstein. By Mary Shelley, the original original novel. So, uh, so that's going to be a lot of a lot of fun. I've never read it. So, oh, really? A new experience for me. Um, and uh, we got some, you know, uh, great crew to do that with us. So uh, I'm looking forward to that very much. So should be tons of fun to you know travel around the world chasing a giant creature. Should be interesting to do. So we definitely want to hear from you guys at home. Please write us at EarthStation1 at ESONetwork.com. You know, we definitely would love to hear from you guys. And, you know, while you're doing that, you know, since you guys are listening, hopefully you guys are subscribing. Our numbers have been going up a little bit. But, you know, just want to make sure that you guys have subscribed to us and, you know, listening to us on your favorite media player. We're up on most of the big ones and, you know, we're up on some of the small ones too. Or if you're listening to us over in the U.K., on Geek Radio, you know, please, you know, let us know. We'd love to hear from you guys. Please write us and just say howdy. You know, if you want, also leave feedback for us. This is how we find out what you guys think of the show, what you guys think about what we're doing, because we got a lot of big things coming up for you guys. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. So definitely got to deal with that. Of course, we want to say howdy to our patrons and definitely, you know, say big thank you for everyone who's been, you know, supporting the ESO network. You know, it's always great for as little as 25 cents a week. You too can help support the ESO network. Not so shabby there, folks. I think it's pretty darn awesome. You know, all you have to do is go to esonetwork.com and you can click on the Patreon link there or Best way to do it is just go to patreon.com slash ESO network. You get exclusive material. You also get, you know, panels that we've done at Dragon Con or some of the other shows have been doing outtakes or pre-shows. It's pretty darn cool what we have there. So it is just awesome with what we could see and do with, you know, the stuff we have going for you. And of course, a big thank you from the bottom of our hearts for that. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We have some big news here for you folks. Mike and I have been doing this for quite some time. And you know what? We are about to talk about the biggest news we can think of. You know, well, if you go by chronology order, we haven't been putting like on our advertisements or such episode numbers of Earth Station One for about a year now. But we are coming up to episode 500. That's right. 
episode 500. Not a lot of podcasts get there. And, you know, some of them, you know, have, you know, fizzled out. Some have kept on going and, you know, you know, are catching up with us. But you know what? 500 is a big magic number. So we thought, what have we done for a long, long time? Ready for this, Mike? We are going live. That's right. Episode 500 on the 20th of November. That's a Wednesday night, folks. We are going to be in Tucker, Georgia. You want to make the announcement of what comic shop, Mike? We are going to be at Infinite Realities, voted the best comic shop in Atlanta. It's a little over, actually a little less than a year old now, uh, but it's already made an impact. Uh, and uh, we have uh, talked with the owners there, and they have graciously allowed us to take up some space on Wednesday night, starting at uh, about uh, 8.30, 9-ish in the evening. Um, and then we will uh, start recording live. Uh, we will actually, it will be a live recording. Now, for those people who, uh, we encourage everybody who's local um, to attend because um, we want to we want to see you there we have a, a topic that is going to be very interactive that uh, people can uh, we want to hear from you guys uh, and to that end we want to also hear from the people who unfortunately for whatever reason can't be there in person so we will actually be streaming live via facebook so that you can interact with us as well so um, it's going to be a great time and of course it'll be recorded and, uh, you know, you'll be able to listen to it just like you would a normal episode of ours. But, uh, no, this is uh, very special. We're going to try something new, uh, doing the streaming thing. Uh, yeah, we're rookies at this Facebook Live, folks. <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. So expect it to either be really awesome and great or it's going to flop like a dead fish. <laughs> so. so, well, yes. Well, and, uh, you know, much like everything else we've done on this show. Oh, of course. We take experiments and, you know, you should see Mike and I, we just flop like dead fish all the time. So hopping around. Yes. Um, so, uh, no, it's going to be a great, very, we're very excited. Um, this is like, okay. So you guys are listening to right now, you're listening to 496 officially 496. Now, as Mike said, we've done some specials here and there. And of course, you know, we've, we've got the spinoff shows, Earth Station Who and the Dragon Con report that we are, are so proud to be part of. Uh, but as far as Earth Station One goes, uh, you know, officially, this is going to be, we're coming up on episode 500. Very exciting for us. Um, not only because it's 500 episodes, which is a lot. Uh, I mean, you think about it, 500 episodes, we roughly average about an hour and a half to two hours, right? So yeah. We're, ta we're talking about over a thousand hours of material that we put out there. That uh, Wow. Yeah, exactly. I did the math on that. Isn't that amazing? I am um, so impressed. <laughs> that's, uh, I'm impressed too. Uh, well, it, you know, it balances out because I think for the first year or so, first couple of years, our, our shows were like three hours. <laughs> like they were really long. Oh yeah. Um, Especially so, when that Bobby Nash guy was on with us. Well, yes, of course, you know, and, and, you know, uh, you know, we had to accommodate certain people like Bobby Nash and, and Mark Maddox, right? Well, um, those two egos in the same room. Oof, watch out. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, so, um, uh, but we will be having, you know, we've already got some guests that are confirmed. We're going to make a uh, official page uh, on Facebook that you can join and interact with. So if you have questions about the event or you want to share it around, let people know about it. We definitely encourage that. 
Uh, we want to have as many people there as possible. There may be some gift surprises for people who show up. Um, uh, so uh, you might want to come and, and, and walk away with something. Um, uh, not saying that, you know, Mike has a pop figure for everybody, but. Hey, watch it. <laughs> That's just getting personal now, dude. I didn't say I was saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. That's just cold, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, so, uh, so yeah, mark your calendars. If you're listening to this uh, on November 20th, that night at 9 p.m., roughly 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, like I said, if you can be there, uh, fantastic. Uh, if you cannot, uh, dial us up on Facebook, um, and we'll have all the details for that on the event page as well. So you can just go to, I believe you're just going to be able to go to the Earth Station One Facebook page. And we'll be streaming from there, but uh, we'll work out all those details and, uh, and we want you to be part of it. It's going to be very excited. We're very excited and very thankful. Uh, that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do this live, uh, not just for people who are here in the Atlanta area, but people around the country and around the world is because we would not be doing this if it wasn't for you guys. Well, exactly. And that's part of the fun is, you know, being able to give back to you guys and we love it. And that's also, you know, we just, we've been doing the podcast now for nine and a half years and sometimes it's been a long nine and a half years, but other times it feels like we just started and the way we talk to each other, you could tell we've just started, you know, that type of stuff. But it's always great when we get people coming up to us and saying, hey, thanks for doing the podcast. Thanks for talking about this. Thanks for just being able to have a great situation with it. And, you know, we're giving back to you guys. We're doing a live show. You know, we haven't done a comic book shop show probably at least in three years. At least, yeah. So it's been quite some time. And thank you to Jamie and her crew at Infinite Realities. It's awesome. Yeah, so. absolutely. Chris, Jamie, Brandon, uh, who run Infinite Realities, have been nothing but supportive of the show and of us. So uh, we are definitely um, very thankful to um, take up space, uh, like I said, uh, for a few hours. A little bit later than they're usually open, but it is Wednesday, so it is the new comic book day, so that's pretty exciting. So you could well. probably get your new comics at the same time. <laughs> exactly. You could pick up your new books and, and uh, you know, give us a listen and find out what all the hubbub's about. Um, uh, yeah, it's very exciting. And we are, you know, and, and I can definitely tell you this, that uh, here's the spoiler, um, 500 is just the beginning. Um, we've got some after, uh, starting with 500, uh, you're going to see, we're going to have some more announcements. Uh, there's going to be some, some fun things happening ahead. Uh, I don't want to give any more away than that, but, um, yeah, we're, we're just getting started. I'm almost as curious as you guys are at home to hear what (laughs) he has to say about that. Me too. I, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't plan. So no, uh, (laughs) exactly. So I'm, I'm like going, really, Mike, tell me, what are you thinking? So this is just awesome. We are just excited about 500 and we've, we've been holding it back for a couple of weeks. We've been planning. We might have a couple other surprises, but you know, you never know what's going to be happening. This is a huge anniversary and we are just going to be looking forward to talking in person with you guys, trying Facebook live and, you know, having friends there with us and you guys at home. It's just always going to be great. And, you know, 
it could be a big flop. Two people could show up. But, you know, we're hoping, you know, you guys could show. And Infant Realities is really easily located from anywhere in the Atlanta area. It's right on La Vista Road in Tucker, Georgia, right across from Tucker High School. And so it's real simple to get to. It's a great comic shop, brand new place. Like Mike said, less than a year old. And they already got voted best comic shop in Atlanta in Creative Loafing. That's pretty darn awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, you know, we, we encourage people to come out. We encourage people to, to, to check us out on Facebook during the event. And if you, if you'd like to send us a um, recorded message or an email, basically, um, you know, stating, um, you know, what you think about the show or your feelings about the show, we'd be glad to try to be nice about it though. You know, exactly. <laughs> we'd be trying, we, we, we'd like to, you know, include those as part of our celebration as well. So we can read some of those on the air. We can also, um, if there are audio clips, we can play them or at least include them as part of the show. Uh, just to, like I said, it's all about, you know, it's, you know, it's about a celebrate celebrating this show that we've done uh, that Mike and I have done with all of you guys. Um, so, um, you know, the list is way too long over the past almost 10 years now to list like everybody who's really helped us with our success because it really is like a lot of people. And, uh, you know, so, but we want to make sure we include as many voices as we can. So, like I said, if you can't be there in person, if you can't be there, uh, the night that we're recording, you want to send something our way, feel free to do so. And we will uh, try to include you guys as much as possible. Oh, very much so. All MP3s sent to earthstation1 at esonetwork.com will be put up on the recording. And we might even play them right there at the recording so everyone else can hear and everything too so and we could respond to you guys it might be a little fun to do something like that or mike and i might just do a little bit of bonus after the show or something to do something like that because it's always great when we can respond to feedback and stuff like that too so it's just ideas that we're playing with and you know what just keep on sending stuff and we will go yay you guys thank you thank you as always yeah Thank you, guys. Thanks, everybody. Um, and uh, we'll hope to see you in a few weeks at uh, 500. Um, uh, but in the meantime, we've still got a lot of stuff to do. We've got, like, the countdown to Halloween is not officially over yet as we're recording this. It may be as you're listening to this. But you know what? Even if you listen to this and Halloween 2020 of uh, 2019 has already passed, 2020 is the next one we'll be counting down to. So you'll just have an early start. Um, and, uh, and so this'll, this is our last of our October ones, November. We've got a, a great schedule, a great lineup of, of things that we're doing. The 50 year anniversaries is not finished by any means. So we'll be doing a couple more of those throughout the year and, you know, it's going to be very exciting. So we're very, you know, the, it's, we're not slowing down anytime soon as much as Mike and I would like to get a, take a break and take a vacation. Nope. <laughs> we, <laughs> We don't even get to go, Mike Faber, Mike Gordon, you just recorded episode 500. What are you doing now? We can't even go. We're going to Disneyland or something like that. No, no we can't. Uh, but if we could go to Disneyland or Disney World, we would, we would record live and bring it to you. Of course we would. We bring everything to you. We don't have lives. You guys share our lives with us. <laughs> so true. And so, except for when Mike goes on all those other podcasts. But that's okay. So it's going to be a great ball. And, you know, 
we're going to, we got a great things planned. Like Micah said, we're already planned already into 2020 and we have cons listed already that we're signed up for. We just actually heard today from a couple other cons that have expressed interest in us coming out. So 2020 is going to be a big year for us. So, and you know, 2020 is also our 10th anniversary coming up to April. That will be our 10 year anniversary. So um, yeah, so we'll be celebrating all year long. Exactly. So this is pretty darn awesome. So let's take a quick break. We got a victim ahead of us in the geek seat. And then we're talking all about Frankenstein. You ready, dude? Always. Let's go. This is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buzz. We have a busy weekend coming up at the theaters, so let's go ahead and dive right on in. The biggest one will likely be Terminator Dark Fate. Now, one of my geek confessions is that I'm not actually really that familiar with the Terminator franchise. I've only seen one, which was the most recent one, I believe, called Terminator Genesis. And it was okay, but not super great. So maybe that kind of contributed to the fact that the trailers for this new one are just not really grabbing me. It's getting decent, but not stunning reviews from critics. Although I am really curious to hear what longtime fans of the franchise think of this movie. And at some point, I really do want to go back and watch the original Terminator movies just because they're sci-fi classics and as a film geek, they're films that I want to have seen. And following the trend of decent but not great reviewed movies is Motherless Brooklyn about a 1950s detective played by Edward Norton kind of around a mob corruption theme. Then we also have the biopic Harriet, which is the true story of Civil War era hero Harriet Tubman and her escape from slavery. I really like the trailer for this one, and I love historical dramas. Rotten Tomatoes says this one is a sincere tribute, but unfortunately kind of follows a formulaic approach, which I think a lot of biopics tend to run into. It's sometimes hard to capture like the richness and depth of a historical person's life in a film and trying to tell trying to copy like all those historical facts into the movie but this is one i'm still hoping to go see finally we have an epic gangster drama called the irishman which appears to be martin scorsese's latest masterpiece starring robert de niro and al pacino among others now normally this type of movie isn't necessarily my cup of tea but it's getting such glowing reviews i think i might have to check it out anyway And finally, that's it for this week's Box Office Buzz. If you're looking for more entertainment-related content, be sure to check out my blog over on the ESO Podcast website. This week, I'm doing a breakdown of that new Star Wars trailer. Live from Chicken Town, this is the Flopcast, a podcast obsessed with comic books, Saturday morning cartoons, conventions, music, stuff from the 70s and 80s that nobody else remembers, and chickens. It'll be the silliest half hour of your week. You can find us at flopcast.net and on the ESO network. I'm the mayor of Chicken Town, and I approve this message. Hey everyone, welcome back to Earth Station One. Now it's time for the Geek Seat segment. And this week we have Madeline joining us for the first time. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. We are so happy to have you visit the station on our countdown to Halloween. Uh, and I know Halloween is uh, a season that's very important to you. 
It sure is. My very favorite. Uh, so for those people who may not be familiar with you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, I am an actress and performer of all sorts, a singer and a pianist. And I've been performing in theater since, I guess, 2009 when I left my career as a bi biologist to become an actress. Decided that I didn't want to go to medical school and pursue that route because I really wanted to fulfill my dreams of performing in front of audiences and on screen. And in, in my artistic endeavors, I met my other half, Shane Morton, and we do a, a show together, the Silver Scream Spook Show. Shane started that, gosh, over 10 years ago, and I joined in um, about when we, when we met, and it's been continuing ever since. The Spook Show is uh, is a great, one of those great things that uh, it's just one of the wonderful things about Atlanta, I think. Uh, it's been certainly in my uh, top 10 things I love about oh, Atlanta. Oh, so, thank you so much. Um, and, uh, and, and for those people who are not familiar with the, uh, I always mispronounce this, it's Silver Scream Spook Show, right? Perfect. You did it just uh, right. I know, yeah. right? That's, that, <laughs> I, don't ask me to do it 10 times fast. <laughs> I could probably do it if I was drunk. But, oh, yeah. Um, uh, but for those people who are not familiar with that concept, uh, it's, it's, it is crazy to kind of describe it, right? Sure. Uh, our, my favorite one-liner description is that it's like Pee-wee's play, Playhouse meets the Munsters, followed by a classic monster film. That's that that you know what that's perfect actually. <laughs> and uh, anybody who is curious by that or you know needs more. Did, did, needs to see it for themselves i think if they oh need. yeah definitely it brings so the style of performance is based off of old spook shows which were very popular in the uh I guess 70s or so when people would go to the theater two and a half times a week it was part of your regular weekly schedule and a lot of the time for a midnight show you'd have a horror host that would uh do some entertainment before showing your midnight double feature and uh shane decided to bring that back a few years ago and it's become our version of it for here in atlanta and uh we get to see it we just saw it recently at uh, monsterama which has yeah. become a staple there so that's great um uh yeah yeah it's a fantastic fantastic time and you guys just look like you're having a blast we love it it is just uh, <laughs> it is really our favorite thing to do together and to see the uh for me the biggest payoff is the children when mm -hmm. they they get to see something for the first time or they enjoy something so much in a show that they have to run up afterwards and tell you about it like that it's tough to beat that now uh with october and uh, this yep. being Halloween season, is this a particularly busy season for you? Do you you have do you and Shane have a lot of events that uh, you participate in this this time of year? Certainly, we we uh, started off. Uh, well, actually, I'd say it really started off with Monsterama. We had a great time at Monsterama. Did our our spook show there and and participated in all the wonderful things that happen at Monsterama. And then the right after that, we had our Halloween spook show and 
we then went on to, gosh, we went straight to the Halloween parade. So it's, it's constant. Shane just taught a makeup class. We just wrapped on a short film with Matt Servito and Henry Zabrowski called Good Head, which is part of an anthology. Uh, the Matt, Matt Servito and Henry Zabrowski are the stars of Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell, which mm-hmm. Shane does all the uh, makeup on that program on Adult Swim. So yes, we have been extraordinarily busy, but it's not quite as insane as it was a few years ago when we had Atlanta Zombie Apocalypse running the entire time we were doing everything. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. All of that, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. That was uh, that was crazy. That that was a that was a interactive haunt, right? That's right, an immersive haunt experience, the first of its kind as far as uh, an end of the world scenario where you mm-hmm. lived out a zombie movie live with actors that were interacting with you you're a part of the story and the plot line and really uh as far as i'm aware we were the first ones to do zombie paintball (laughs) that uh and you know now i think about it and people can go back and look i can't i don't have the episode number in front of me but people can go back and look because i believe when we had shane on yeah that that was the reason i think he was promoting that at the time so because i know that uh yeah, that coincided with one of our Halloween episodes uh, back then. So we were happy to do that. Um, so uh, in addition to all that, what uh, I mean, what else have you got going on? It sounds like you're just quite busy, though. Uh, yeah, I, I, as an artist, you kind of have to stay busy so you don't feel like you're not getting anywhere as an mm-hmm. artist since you're in charge of your entire career. I have my next show that I have I have an improv troupe called genrely speaking and we do improvised films based on an audience offer we give them the genre and the audience gives us a title of a movie they've never seen or heard of before and we improvise that in a 20 to 45 minute time frame and I've got a show this coming Monday at Orpheus Brewing uh with the uh, sandbox jam. So we're going to perform there. We just had a show uh, last week, right? It's, it's all blended together, but we, we uh, <laughs> opened, we opened for Ed Wood and we did a uh, improvised romantic comedy. So who knows what we're going to do this, this Monday, but it'll be wonderful. I hope. Yeah. There's a lot of improv. I didn't, I just saw you right on, uh, were you at dad's garage as well? I train at Dad's Garage, and I okay. had a, a grad show at Dad's Garage as well, uh, but I, I'm not part of their ensemble. I support and adore Dad's Garage and mm-hmm. happily take classes with them. Yeah, they are, they're a great bunch over there. Um, but yeah, that's a very strong community of, uh, of, of performers in Atlanta, I found. Oh, yeah. It's, I uh, have ventured outside of Atlanta for very training purposes or for different gigs and I always uh I enjoy my adventures and enjoy my training but Atlanta is definitely home and where I'd like to be for the rest of my career cool well there seems to be enough work um uh especially with a lot of uh you know stuff shooting here so there's a lot of a lot of, that's uh, just grown over the years. So there's maybe mm-hmm. even more opportunities, right? That's right. That's been pretty exciting to watch that change and and see all this new new uh, production work come to Atlanta and see how it's helping people grow their careers. It's and new jobs and all kinds of stuff. It's been great. 
Well, very cool. Well, Mike, I think she's warmed up enough. I think uh, she's I ready for the hard. <laughs> she's ready for the hard questions. Um, you know, we uh, hear this all the time, though. That's the problem. Well, you oh, know, that I'm warmed up. It's a lie. <laughs> no, <laughs> that they're ready for the geek seat. And really, oh, okay, nothing, nothing can really prepare you. So okay, here we uh, go. We we do what we can um, to to create at least a somewhat of an atmosphere of trust. But um, you know. It all comes, it all becomes geeky in the end. Yeah. <laughs> and you have, wow, listen to that. Oh, she's so cocky. I like this. Yeah. I, I, well, I, you, tell me, you tell me you're getting ready to watch. The, did you watch the Star Wars trailer? I haven't seen it yet. I'm, I'm waiting I'm not for gonna, the end of this podcast to watch it. I'm not going to spoil it for you, okay. so it's okay. All right. Fair enough. So while Mike schmoozes, I watch. It's always a good thing, you know. Oh. It's how we play off. Now he's going to watch it while I'm talking to you. So oh, it's a pretty splendid. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. So you ready for your first question in the geek seat? Oh, please. All right, Mike. She seems too happy. Please tie her up a little bit uh, more. You know, she does like she does spook shows for a living. Come on, that's. I mean, this is hard to get her to. You know. Someone of her I caliber. Know. That's that's what the, the guests in October Am I are supposed always to be a nervous. Bit. I can be nervous if you like. I can. <laughs> I can, I can she's delay. an imp, she's an improver. Of course, she could be nervous. <laughs> she could do it just like that. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> but who knows? My answers could suck. That's that's the other thing. Yes, and right. Yes, yes, and. <laughs> so I took my improv classes too. So there you go. Yeah, so. perfect. Okay. Okay, what was your favorite geek out moment? My favorite geek out moment, I actually one of them just happened recently. I speaking of improv, we and you may have even seen this happen when we were at Monsterama. Jackie Joseph was at Monsterama. Oh, she was so wonderful. She was the cutest. Well, I was trying to figure out how to introduce myself and things were she was busy, people were at her table and uh, Monsterama is just things are changing and moving along all day. And I put on my Vampirella costume, which I was doing to raise money for the uh, American Red Cross. And as I was getting ready to kind of wrap it up for uh, photos and that sort of thing, I saw Jackie and I ran up and I just was like, can I please take a photo? Keep in mind, I'm wearing like essentially butt floss. So there's not a whole lot to look at besides basically a naked girl and Jackie Joseph was thoroughly entertained by the sight of me in this just very little outfit and uh, I asked if I could take a picture and she said of course of course of course because she is the sweetest and I gushed over her for a minute telling her how much I loved uh her in little shop of horrors and i had just recently shown her a movie little shop at the plaza theater with my improv troupe and i explained what we did and so she goes into this oh well improv well let me tell you this story and i was like what oh, okay yeah sure whatever you tell me whatever you want to tell me well she, oh that is awesome she goes well listen i um when i was young and taking classes well well, I couldn't afford to take this one class but my my friend was in this class with Viola Spolin and I was like what the Viola Spolin the like the mother of improv games like the late she yes she goes yes well why do you think I'm telling you the story about improv <laughs> I was like okay yes I understand she said well I couldn't afford to take the class but Viola found out that my mother 
was a cashier at the liquor store. So if my mother slipped her a flask of liquor, I could take the class. So I got to take the class because my mom would give her alcohol and I could oh. train with her doing all those improv games that are now known today for like classic improv training, which I thought that is awesome. I was like, how cool is this lady? She's just, oh, that blew she my was mind. amazing. She was just so, she, and then after all that, she goes, can you please send me those photos that we just took together? I want them for my happy memories. Oh, oh, that is I was awesome. like, that's the cutest lady ever. I'm so <laughs> glad I had that moment. I still regret giving her the megaphone because now she's a monster with a megaphone. No, that was the best thing you could have done. I, could, <laughs> I, was like, oh, yeah. I don't know. I thank you for doing that because that was hilarious. I, I just shouting good morning down the hall. Not not a nothing profane. Just good morning. <laughs> good morning. I just imagine her on the plane ride home with the megaphone. <laughs> <laughs> Making announcements for the parade. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, she's so. absolutely adorable though. She was great. And then in that, yeah, that just uh makes uh Monsterama that much special when you have moments like that. Uh, totally. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. What was your most disappointing geek out moment? My oh, uh the when I went to Texas Frightmare. I, this is several years ago, at the very beginning of, I guess, promoting Dear God No. And I, we had a table and I had various photos out and I'm, I'm sitting there just, well, you know, not actually, I was standing just greeting people as they came up to the table and talking about Dear God No and about the movie and we were promoting it and I didn't recognize him. And this, this, uh, if he ever listens to this, then whatever, this is my opinion, but I didn't recognize this guy come up and he's looking at these pictures and he's going, that's, that blood is real sticky, huh? And I was like, yeah, yeah, it is. You know, thank you. Thank you for indicating the odd. I'm wearing, I'm in these pictures where I'm just covered in blood. They're artsy, artsy looking pictures. And I was like, who, what? Okay. It's just another weird guy coming up to my table and we have a brief exchange that doesn't really go anywhere other than like, it's just kind of a weird guy <laughs> pointing out my pictures. And Shane goes, Madeline, you know who that was? And I was like, no, I don't know. Just some, some guy. And Shane's like, no, that's Michael Rooker. And I was like, nah. Really? <laughs> oh, man. I was like, no, surely he could have said something better than well, that blood looks real sticky. And I was like, no, <laughs> no, just, just no. That wasn't what I was hoping for, but oh, well, I was, I was disappointed. With that oh, one. I'm sure he, you were. He seems like a much cooler guy, certainly a very talented actor, but just uh, walking up to, to me and that was his one liner. I was kind of a little bit uh, <laughs> grossed out by the whole affair. Wow. You have to realize most of us guys are not that cool to be able to come up with something so spiffy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose. Yeah. But, so even Michael Rooker I was probably say, falls who, by who every once in a while. Michael, who would have thought that Michael Rooker doesn't have game? Yeah. <laughs> but, he uh, must have lost his mojo. <laughs> something. Didn't have that silver tongue when we were uh, mm. conversing, that's for sure. <laughs> what keeps you out the most? 
Say that one more time. What geeks you out the most? Uh, ooh, Disney. Disney stuff. Anything. Oh, really? Yes, Haunted Mansion specifically. Haunted Mansion is my favorite ride at Disney. Uh, if you came to my house right now, you would see how much Haunted Mansion stuff I have. My my living room looks like Haunted Mansion. We've got, oh gosh, the the living room is painted purple. I have Haunted Mansion plaques, Haunted Mansion collectibles. We do Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween almost every year. We love Disney. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm a huge Disney fan of movies, but... That's um, Haunted Mansion. I'd say I had the most like collectible stuff anyway. That is awesome. That is awesome. Do you like Haunted Mansion or what's your? Oh, oh, (laughs) we we love Haunted Mansion. You are actually, you are actually two episodes too late because two two weeks ago we did our 50th anniversary or celebration of Haunted Mansion episode. And, and yes, I wish we could have scheduled you for that one. But, oh, that's uh, all right. Well, we, we, we had a we had a good time. Uh, it's good to listen to. But yes, I we're always. I mean, who doesn't like the haunted mansion? That's oh, crazy. the haunted mansion is just awesome. When was the first started, time you went? When I was seven years old, seven. so that was probably 1974. Uh-huh. And I've been to the Disney World one three times, and probably the Disneyland one twenty. Wow. Well, I had season tickets when I lived in California. Oh, very good. So I was there all the time. I've been to, well, I went to Disney World when I was eight and then Disneyland, I guess in 2017. And we went to uh, Disney Tokyo in twenty. You win, you win. That one, really, (laughs) you have to go. You must Put it on your bucket list because it was. What is the difference? What's the difference? Just well, curious. The the line experience was totally different. Uh, there, you kind of see where you're. You actually, you know, the theories of where you actually die in the haunted man. You know, like you actually die on the ride, kind of thing. No, mm-hmm. yes, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's you can see the window that you are actually supposed to leave out of. And then and that's, you can see that from the exterior and the ride, the organization of the ride is slightly different. Not, not everything about it is, is totally different. And they have the original bride is in there, which is really cool. Ah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And that one, that one's called Phantom Manor, right? That is actually in France. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And, um, I'm actually, I think maybe the one in Shanghai might be called Phantom Manor too. I, I don't know. I haven't looked at the, I haven't done China. So gotcha, gotcha. But this one in uh in Japan it's still Haunted Mansion. And I got to take my pictures awesome. with the the hosts and the they the girls are so cute. If you when you go to Japan, you better go in matching outfits with your friends. Otherwise you're gonna not look like you you meant to go to Disney World or together. <laughs> Everyone wears matching outfits, whole ensembles, families best friends, girlfriend, boyfriends. It's the cutest thing ever. They do it up in Tokyo. It's the greatest. Oh, that is awesome. That is awesome. All right. Reason to go to another reason to go to Japan. Yes. Awesome. Do it. That's cool. Oh, well, we will. We will sometime. What turns your geek off? Uh, oh my gosh. Certain, uh, I guess false, uh, knowledge competence about subject matter or to me uh, things that really drive me nuts 
our current slang sayings, like this, this one absolutely makes my skin crawl. And I, this has nothing to do with geekiness other than it drives me nuts when somebody is trying to say something is cool, but they say that's so dope. That drives me nuts. I hate that phrase. It just sounds dopey. I don't know how else to explain it. It drives me nuts. Please don't say it to me. I will immediately shut down and can't take it as a compliment when somebody says that to me about something. Um, or if they're talking about something they're excited about, it, it levels it down big time. No, it totally makes sense with me. I don't know that I've ever uttered that phrase. No. No. I, I don't. No. I don't know why you would. It doesn't make any I've, sense. I've used. I've used dope in other words, but yeah. sentences, but, it, but it's not. It's just not. that definition. It just in that context doesn't make any sense, and it drives me. It's a current thing. I don't know why it bothers me so much, but it really irritates me. <laughs> no, I usually have to, you know, give some money prices with when I mention dope. It's okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> But we won't go into details. What fictional character would you like to meet the most? Say that one more time. What fictional character would you like to meet the most? Gosh. Okay. Well, we just saw Joker yesterday. yesterday, And Mm -hmm. uh, I would say Batman's right up there for who I'd like to meet the most. But after watching this new Joker, I may want to meet Joker. It was such a good movie. I'm blown away. Have you seen it yet? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. I don't know how they got away with making that. It's it's an art. I mean, truly to me, an art film in a super superhero sort of format. Mm-hmm. I was blown away. So blown away. I I I can't get over how interesting the character development is and how much like is still left to the audience to kind of ruminate and figure out what they think that was about truly and the joker all of a sudden as somebody that's grown up not liking the joker and really thinking that that is a rotten character yes there are rotten things about the joker but seeing it in this sort of light and seeing really this is about to me the movie was about uh somebody with a mental illness and and seeing that sort of take on that theme within a known universe was really interesting and uh i uh i kind of want to meet batman and joker now (laughs) okay (laughs) just don't just don't get caught between them no 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 (laughs) that that might not end well for you no that almost leads into your next question my batgirl costume on which we talked about earlier okay all right if somebody puts out the back signal i'll i'll i'm covered that's but just remember, Batgirl does not have a good experience with the Joker. <laughs> That's yeah. true. That's all I need. Typically right. not. That's true. So, all right. So, next question is kind of falls off of that. What geek character would you not like to meet? Hmm. I would not like to meet. I don't, the Hulk. Okay. The uh, a different going into a different universe. Sure. Uh, the Hulk kind of <laughs> freaks me out. I, I like the actor that plays him in the current movies. I think he's great. But, oh, Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. yeah. But I think because he's, well, they didn't really, uh, didn't 
didn't really show how crazy he is in the most recent movies. But in the first one, he just seemed like such a live wire. It really freaked me out. It's kind of like that person that you just can't trust them in a room and don't really know what they're going to do. And I think the unpredictability of a person like that, that can also be extremely violent. I'm not really sure why that is such a likable character for people. But for me, that gives me super anxiety to have somebody that we don't really know what they're going to do next. (laughs) When they're capable of destroying. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. I was going to say that almost sounds like an ex- an ex-wife or so, you know? Yeah, I so. haven't had one of those yet, but I but, imagine yeah. it's it's somewhat like that, I suppose. <laughs> oh, very much so. <laughs> what is your favorite geek word, phrase, quote, or pose? Um, uh, May the force be with you and live long and prosper. Wow, going for the big two right <laughs> there. Yeah, yes. but those I incorporate almost every day in my life. So those are just things I say. <laughs> I thought she was just trying to play it safe. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, my other, how about this? This one is, uh, but it has nothing. You can't say this one in any normal conversations of, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. That's also one of my favorites, but you can't really deliver that in any uh, natural conversation throughout your day. Yeah. The person at quick trip behind the counter would just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> security yep (laughs) exactly what is your ideal geek occupation hmm i would love to be a scientist on the starship enterprise oh very cool how about that i grew up watching uh original star trek and spock is my i think favorite character of all time at least what i modeled my curiosity of science after and probably why I chose a career in science before switching over to acting. Oh, very cool. Just love his approach towards humans and the also just him being a, a blend of, of, of races. I like that he represents something that is at the, what at the time was considered unusual or disliked even even by bones who had i mean i think he bones loved him but also had issues with him and i thought that was just interesting relevant themes for the time and continue to be relevant themes now Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yep totally understand that that's pretty awesome what geek occupation would you not like to do i would not like to to uh do calculations for uh, rocket ships. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow, that is a good one. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm with you there. <laughs> I, uh, well, I, I like math a lot. I really, really do. But the, uh, the pressure of not converting correctly or miscalculating and causing this multi- million billion dollar item to just evaporate into an atmosphere or crash land and everything is all your fault or people nope i'm I'm good without that pressure thank you nope totally understand that 
you know, with the wrong, like you could be off a decimal and everything goes. Poof. Yep. Yeah, you definitely. Can... And we've seen it yeah. happen. In, oh, yes, we history. have. <laughs> you, you don't want to be that guy. No. Or that no. girl. Exactly. No. No. It, you don't want it to be, I thought it was that girl. Yes. Who messed up the calculations. Nope. 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 You don't want that. All right. Are you ready for your final question in the geek seat? Please. All right. What is your ultimate geek fantasy? Oh, well, I think I've already kind of covered it. The uh, I, If I could be on the Starship Enterprise as some sort of alien or science officer, that would be the biggest, nerdiest, super fulfilling life accomplishment for me ever. Uh, there are some Star, Star Trek uh, happenings here in Atlanta coming up, and I hope somehow I can figure out how to get on them. <laughs> that would be, That'd be awesome. the greatest. That'd be very cool. Well, Madeline, got some great news for you. You have made it through the geek seat. Congratulations. Mr. Mike Gordon, tell the young lady what she's won. You have won a lifetime subscription to the ESO Network, a value easily worth $144.06. Oh, my God. Wow. You know, our stock went up last week. What can I say? That is amazing. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, th- and thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. For um, for those people who want to check out what's next for you and and will check out the next uh, what's going on with the Spook Show, where should they go online? Uh, visit silverscreamfxlab.com or madelinebrumby.com. Everything awesome. we do is listed on both of those web pages or on we- Facebook or on Instagram and all that other stuff. But uh, I will not have any other ads on our various pages <laughs> that you have to look at. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, uh, we will definitely send people there. We will include those links in our show notes. And, uh, and, and how are you spending Halloween? We well, I have some exciting news. Shane and I bought a new house, and we're gonna uh, christen the whole home with actually setting up a little home haunt in our new house, and do makeup on the kids in the neighborhood, and just inter- introduce ourselves to the neighborhood. Wow, I can only imagine that that was that's going to be spectacular. Yes, it's going to be fantastic. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much, and happy Halloween. Same to you. Thank you so much for having me. Let's take a quick break, and we will be back in a moment, and we are going to be looking all at Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Everyone these days could use a little support, and your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon. The cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO Network.
Continuing with our countdown to Halloween, it is time for the ESO Book Club, and we are looking at Mary Shelley's classic Frankenstein. Yeah, last year, last year we uh, covered Dracula, and uh, that was a lot of fun. So, of course, the next one up, uh, at least in terms of the library of of famous monsters, is Frankenstein, Frankenstein's monster, or Frankenstein: The Modern Prometheus by Mary Shelley. Um, we've got our book club crew with us. Uh, Kirby is back on the station. Kirby, welcome back. Hello. Howdy. How's uh, how's the October Halloween season treating you? Uh, I'm not doing much of much of anything, and I'm going to be doing a a generic uh, T-shirt at work that says 404 uh, Halloween costume missing. <laughs> well, that's something in and of itself. But I don't know if you saw. Uh, I posted a picture of a pumpkin that my oldest daughter carved, which is a cat bus. Oh, cool! So there's some activity going on. Yeah, some activity. Cool. <laughs> and and you read Frankenstein, so that and I read Frankenstein. We read Frankenstein in in forty years. <laughs> awesome. Um, and we also have with us, and he's no stranger to our October countdown to Halloween episodes, the award winning. Mark, Mark Maddox is here. Hey. Howdy, sir. Hey, how's everybody doing? Great. This Good. is a, this is a great thing because uh, I know that, I mean, I think I'm the only one here who's never read uh, the book before. So, mm-hmm. and I know that it's one of your personal favorites, right, Mark? Well, just the whole, the whole character, the story, a lot of the incarnations and everything. So, yeah, I think the book's, I think the book's really good. I mean, um, you know, it's uh it's a it's a novel that it's hard to believe it's as old as it is when you are reading it you know it's amazing that it's uh, what 1820s or somewhere roughly around that time period it was written yeah it was published in 1818 uh so that makes it you know just a little over 100 years old right no it makes it uh, almost 200 years old 200 yeah, years old. Yeah, right. two, yeah 200 years old. <laughs> two years old. It's time now for the adventures of Captain Math. Look, I am. Uh, <laughs> <on, look>, we're <laughs> in 2019, Mike. You know, Is that where we are? I don't yeah. know. I just, uh, you know, these kind of books <laughs> just transport me in time. It's all right. And, and, and look, I am, <laughs> I am not a math whiz by any means. Simple math right. uh, even uh, uh, escapes me. So, But that's why I have you guys. Um, so let's talk about our first introduction to the book. Uh, obviously, I said this is the first time I've read the book. I've seen a lot of incarnations of Frankenstein's story told over, you know, my lifetime. Uh, so it was interesting to go to the source material. Um, and I have to say, it was a very different experience than I was expecting. Um, this, this story, much like, you know, when we covered Dracula, and so often when we cover the classics, um, even though there's been many adaptations, they're very different from the original source material uh, for one reason or another. And, and I look forward to talking the specifics with you guys. But um, yeah, it was a very different experience. Uh, very impressive. The book is um, a little, it's about almost just under 300 pages, at least the volume that I was reading. And uh, it moved very fast. It's not a, um, it's not a difficult read. Um, and, you know, the fact that it was written by a teenage girl just really stuns me. Um, you know, that's a that's a big surprise as well. So um, but I mean, even if it was written by, a, you know, 80 year old man, I'd still be impressed. It was uh, it's it's got some really great themes in it. 
and you know it's not as action packed as some of and dynamic as some of the adaptations have been but yet it still moves uh very well and uh, like i said i it was an enjoyable read i i once i picked it up it was hard to put down um so mark what was your first experience reading the book uh i I got it uh, from the book, you know, how you had like the book club at school. They, they would give you the little flyer to buy paperbacks and things like that. And I bought it. Uh, I bought a copy of like, I think it was around 1970, 71 and started reading and realized I was getting into something quite a bit different from the, from the movies I had seen and everything. And, um, you know, so I just, you were well familiar with the 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 story, the movies before reading this. Yeah, I mean some of them. I mean, I, I I had seen maybe two or three Frankenstein films. I uh, I, I specifically remember my parents were going out, you know, for like a dinner date and uh, in like around 1969, and they had a, a, the amazing thing of the double feature of Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein oh. on at night, and I had never seen either one of them. And uh, I'm sitting there ready to watch this thing. And, and my parents, you know, just drop the hammer. They go, you got to pay attention to whatever your older sister tells you to do. You do it. So the door closes. And that person looked at me and said, if you mess up in one way, shape or form, you're going straight to bed. And I literally did the, I mean, I literally wrapped myself up like a mummy with my arms around myself and did not move for the whole three hours. Didn't, didn't ask for anything to eat. Didn't go to the bathroom and just sat there and watched it. and was completely entranced. So, you know, flash forward to the book and you find out it's a, it's a, it, it's got a lot of the same things in it. Sure. You know, sympathy for the creature in some ways. Meanwhile, at the same time, he can be pretty rotten. I'd say that the the monster in the book's a little more rotten. I think there's some things that he does that are that are more heinous. I think that maybe Hollywood couldn't do a few of the things that uh, that were in the book. But um, so anyway, that was my first experience with it. And And how old were you when you read the book? Oh, I was God. If I was in the if that was 71, so I probably was about 11. Okay. So that, that seems, cause in, on one hand, like, I don't think I would, you know, not to, not to keep comparing the two, but I don't think I would give an, I would hand on the 11 year old like Dracula. Right. Yeah. Cause I, but, but Frankenstein seems like it would be more accessible to a younger audience. Mm. Um, I, I think mean, that, the, well, Dracula is a series of um, letters and diary, um, uh, there's a lot of that in there, which I think could throw a, a younger person off. There's also a lot of like, though, there's more, it, there's more uh, sexual nature stuff yeah. in Dracula as well. Um, and I think it's more violent, really, than, than Frankenstein. Um, yeah. Overall. But anyway, like I said, I don't want to get into the, the to keep comparing the two, because that would be a whole podcast in of itself, I would imagine. Uh, Kirby, what about you? Which wasn't the first time you read the book? First time I read the book was probably in high school, uh, assigned reading. Uh, Oh, it was assigned. Oh, yeah. Uh, Probably we're talking 1976 or so. Uh, And, of course, I'd been exposed to many versions of of the movie. Uh, I believe that was after that that true story of Frankenstein, which was supposedly... (laughs) Yeah. put that in quotes right yeah yeah that's in that's in quotes uh 
that's the one where the the monster starts out be- beautiful and gets ugly as as time goes by. I remember, remember that one, and also I remember when did Young Frankenstein come out? Seventy four. I think so. I believe yeah. it was around the same. Uh, so in seventy four, I was fourteen, and my mother actually took came with me to see Young Frankenstein, and it shocked her. <laughs> 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 and I loved it from, from the beginning. Anyway, uh, the book itself, uh, read it, uh, was kind of bored by it then. Um, and, okay, this is going to be funny. Around the same time, I ran across, I actually had a copy of, if you remember Classics Illustrated? Yes, yes, yeah. yes, very books. much so. And that... Is you could actually find a copy of their version of Frankenstein on uh, archive.org. It's very, it's essentially the story done correctly, uh, Mary Shelley's story. Uh, there's a little bit, I just read it a couple of days ago, just skimmed through it. Uh, there's a couple of places where they've taken it, some liberties, but I read that around the same time as well. And that's always, that always struck me as a good illustrated way of seeing this particular story that we just finished reading. Uh, anyway, just having finished reading it again, 40 years later or 44 years, whatever. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot more this time around, although starting out I'm going, Oh no letters again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, it's different. The structure is different. Um, but yes, I, I know what you mean. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, I didn't expect this, like letters. <laughs> it, it wasn't. It, it started out that way and ended that way, but fortunately, in between, it was it was perfectly fine. Uh, and I really got gripped by it, and uh, so I kept wondering, well, how's this monster knowing? How how could he? learn all this stuff so quickly and everything but it, then i just thought to myself it's a it's a science fiction fantasy story so <laughs> right fine well there remember are... remember too though he he had a brain a human brain put in his head probably from some person so there, the avenues of learning might have been rapidly sped up we we don't right. know that it's we not, don't really we don't know, know. That. Like, you yeah, don't hear specific- that at all. Yeah, well, specific- what you hear, though, is him stitch. He did stitch the body together, though. I mean, they talk mm, about. No, he doesn't. No. It's not even mentioned that it's stitched He's, together. It's just Mary's together. really, really, like, Vague, not specific at I'm all. There, yeah. it's on the lab table. There's a bunch of chemistry around it. Oops, here comes a guy. I yeah, mean, it kind of. See, it's see. still sort of. I mean, but he does talk a lot about looking at cadavers and all that kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah, that's true. It, that's it true. might have been. A, it might have been their way of saying it without saying it. Maybe back in 1820, it was too heinous, the thought of saying, look, I, I put the bodies good, but I still kind of get the feeling the way that he that 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 they describe him at first is that he's been like the muscles have been laid back over an uh, uh, an armature or something you know or a skeleton or something yeah i mean they do say that his, they do he, you know, mary does describe uh the muscles and how they are um uh different than a normal person's um and uh that he's capable of doing things that a, a normal person can't do obviously his strength strength yeah uh, yeah super strength and uh and he's larger um and you know for some whatever reasons because she doesn't go into huge detail but he is a- 
absolutely grotesque to look at. Like, um, not like, oh, that's kind of cool, like you would see in some movies, but just like hideously grotesque. And something like it, it's obvious to me that he didn't just she didn't or that Victor didn't just take a body out of the morgue and like light it up and, it. and reanimate it, right? Mm-hmm. So there was something else done, but but she doesn't go into details. Uh, and in the in the book, the reason is because Victor doesn't want it to get out like how he did it, right? He's, he's yeah. He wants to keep that secret. But in reality, I was reading um, uh, one of the, I think in one of the forwards or some of the other research I was doing, but Mary was just not interested in the exact science of it. She didn't want that to like cause a problem. Like people would read and go, oh, you can't really do that or whatever. She just sort of wanted to, um, just that wasn't the point of the story, really, which well, is amazing. Feeling, I mean, the people she was hanging out with, like Lord Byron and Percy Bysshe Shelley and all that, I mean, they were all kind of poets and everything like that. You're, you're getting to the passion of the story. Right. Exactly. Not, yeah. This isn't, yeah. this isn't, you know, creating human life 101. Right. You know, and, and, so. and it's interesting how almost all the movies, particularly, you know, the most iconic ones, make a huge spectacle of bringing the monster life that's the centerpiece of those movies yeah and in the book the biggest surprise in the book is that it's just wiped away like oh yeah i just did this and this and he was live yeah the creature (laughs) the creature opened his dull yellow eye or something (laughs) something to that effect Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and Um, uh you know no flathead they don't go anything like that but it's basically the the interesting thing about it is is the monster laying there inanimate is he the guy the guy looks at it and says oh this is an incredible thing i've done like a sculpture almost but as soon as it starts to move it becomes horrifying no exactly actually the the creature is very sympathetic in this story yeah at at the beginning at least yeah but i'm saying the description is horrific of it being animated like thin black lips Mm -hmm. upturned Mm -hmm. nose and all that oh yeah oh very much so and he and the guy runs the guy makes a run for it he he basically deserts (laughs) his kid yeah he runs and he doesn't look back and he comes back and he's like he's like oh it's gone thank goodness for that i can go on with my life it's like exactly dude like talk about abandonment issues like oh that's big guys and that's, and that's what things. it is. Yeah. So, yeah. This, exactly. this is really, really a great – that's what's so modern about this novel is that, you know, being a dad – somebody somebody – you've heard this argument before or you've heard people say this before. His name isn't Frankenstein. That's the name of the doctor, right? <laughs> My attitude is his name would be Frankenstein as well because – that's his child. dad. It's yeah, yeah. just the child of Frankenstein. It, it's the child of Frankenstein by whatever weird, no no womb, no woman was involved kind of thing. But in the end, he still created this thing. And the court would look at him and go, that's your kid. His name would be Frankenstein as well. I know that's one thing. But I get tired of that, that his name isn't Frankenstein. I said, probably in morality, his name is Frankenstein. Yeah. Um, before we get too far into it, Mike, I don't I want to forget like what your introduction was to the original novel. Well, same as Kirby's actually for school. Oh, okay. I've mentioned you guys went to cooler schools than I did. We, <laughs> you know, we I had a modern literature class, and Frankenstein was on our reading list, so it was required reading for the class. And I remember how, like Kirby said. There are so many words in this book, <laughs> and it and it was just like, oh my god, you know, it's like, and it just, 
it flowed nicely, but it just went on and on and on. And you had to try to remember that all in all, it was the captain of the boat telling the story who he had heard from Frankenstein, who he had heard from the creature, who he had heard, you know, all these layers and everything. And it was really a story within a story within a story. Exactly. And it was, it was done so brilliantly though. And it was, especially for a 200 year old book. Well, yes. And, and, and to your point though, I mean, you know, I'm reading it with a lot of, you know, expectations going in. And I think we all probably did, you know, Frankenstein. Oh, this is going to be cool. Let's read this. And the first, you know, few chapters, it's just this captain uh, trying to get to the pole. And you're kind of going, what am I reading? Like, did I pick up the right book? Like, what's going on here? In, in, in defense of that, though, you have to realize she wrote that for an eighteen eighteen audience. That was their science fiction. That was oh, them sure, going sure, into sure. space. That was it's like the monsters is is chemically created. That science fiction. As a matter of fact, right. I think Asimov, if I remember correctly, stated that technically Frankenstein's the first science fiction novel. Brian Aldiss is the one who said that. Oh, it was Brian Aldiss. But I, th- I thought I'd heard uh, Asimov. Maybe he heard what Aldiss said. said yeah, that's true too. <laughs> they were hanging out. They were drinking. But anyway, they. Um, but then, of course, the the this new place, this going to the North Pole, was like us trying to get to the moon almost. Sure, and she does make you know these comparisons because it's important that Victor finds somebody that he can you know confide in to be able to tell his side of the story. And I think it's also really important that each one of the characters in particular Victor and the creature get to tell their sides of the story because otherwise if it was like in third person we wouldn't get like what they were feeling and we wouldn't we would lose a lot of empathy that we have for both of them right um but I do find it is really you know when you're hoping to see you know when you're hoping to get some sort of action horror thriller you know, that first section, you're kind of like, oh, what's going on here? And then you get slowly introduced to Victor. You don't even find out his name until like, I don't know, 50 pages in and maybe yeah, his, his last name, like 70 pages in. So it's like, it's a slow introduction to him. And then, and then you know, then you, you find out about him. He animates the creature. Again, that's done just like in a paragraph and then it's, it's discarded and he goes on with his life and you're kind of like, um, can we get back to that? Cause that was pretty amazing. Um, but instead it goes forward, you know, stuff happens. Then, you know, that we get the creature's point of view, the creature starts talking about what happened to him. And then we go into this like huge section where the creature, you know, watches this family and we learn about the history of this family for God, 50 pages or for something like that. It feels like a long time. And you're kind of, at that point, you're kind of like, it's the meat, it's the heart of the story. You're in yes. the middle of the story and you're kind of like, why am I wasting time? Because the family turns on him and then you never, they're never really approached it in the story again. So, no, but we learned a ton about French culture. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah, that, that was my favorite, favorite section of the book. But that's the part of the book where you actually are, um, you know, like any, any kind of twist or any sort of like tragedy. I mean, you get 50 pages of this family and you're like, this could be a, the, be, be the beautiful moment, but this is not a, this is not a novel about This is a, a novel about tragedy. And when they finally, it, when he's finally revealed to the family, they do turn on him. But at the same time, it's even worse for him now because he's educated. Yeah. 
yeah, he's educated he's, and he's spurned. Mm-hmm. And and the family, like one of the things I, you know, the the, the book is regarded uh, as a classic, as you guys mentioned, one of the first science fiction stories. Uh, also, um, you know, it's regarded as bringing all these modern elements, science, you know, bringing like the, the dangers of science into into the world, et cetera, et cetera. But I find I found the most surprising thing to me is how modern it is in its in its uh, characterization of almost everybody, like almost all the characters are not either good or bad. There's sort of this gray area where sometimes you're rooting for them. Sometimes you hate them. And and it's the same person. And it's they're really well fleshed out, particularly with Victor and with uh, the creature, I think. And I think that's an amazing feat that she's able to do that because like other stories, you know, and we'll bring up Dracula again, it's pretty much black and white. Like there's good guys and there's a bad guy. Right. Um, and there's mention of evil in this book, but it's not a force of evil that you can fight. It's more of an internal evil, right? Yeah. I think Victor's a dick. <laughs> uh, he I, is. I, I agree completely with that. I think he's, I think he's um, you know, he, he is a great brain when it comes to the actual nuts and bolts of what he's trying to do. <laughs> nuts and bolts. No, no pun intended. But the thing <laughs> Intend is. Intend the pun. You know the uh, rule here. But. Some of the stuff he does, like when uh, the um, oh, what is it? Not the nurse. There's a, there's a lady that takes a fall for uh, uh, for the death of his, his Justine. Uh, is yeah, Justine. She takes the fall for the death of his uh, nephew, and uh, uh, he. We know, we know that um, th- that he knows it, and she gets hung anyway. And he kind of just he kind of keeps his mouth shut. Like, I don't want to get in trouble. So there's just moments like that in the story that are sort of like, you know what, you're kind of a, or running away from the monster. Okay, so the monster opens its eyes up and it's really horrific. But you run. You run like a little biatch and then you're all, you're tired. And then luckily you see your friends, so you try to forget about it. And, and you're just on and on with this guy. He's he, a jerk. I, I I agree in a lot of ways because even though, he's able to do this amazing feat, which is bring life back from the dead. Um, He doesn't really seem to like care about the significance of it. It just is sort of something that he and his research, you know, he's so desperate to get his name out there for whatever reason, it doesn't matter. And he stumbles upon this solution, which he doesn't want to reveal. And then he does it. And like Mark said, he runs away um does not you know um is not responsible at all and then his family pays the price a lot of other people pay the price he tries to tries to fight back but in a stupid way because he's not smart about it at all because he keeps Mm -hmm. saying that he's gonna like take on the creature but like how like he doesn't like how is he gonna do that and then uh he has no plan for that and you know there's no even though there's a big marriage and a relationship in the book, there's no romance in here at all. I mean, for someone who hung out with a lot of romantic poets, this is not a very romantic but, story. But I think I think that's the thing is that he, he's actually married to to his work. I think I don't think he cares. I mean, he's doing the he's going through the yeah, motions. I, I didn't feel that. I didn't feel he was married to his work. I felt like it was just something no. that he did. I don't know. Do you guys? 
I don't know. I mean, I felt I felt like he was. I mean, it, well, basically, he was a guy that led two lives. He didn't have an affair, or he wasn't. He wasn't. He didn't have a girl on the side. He had a bunch of heinous crap that he had done, and was sort of, you know, you know, I led two lives. Um, I think he got married to uh, the the girl. It wasn't it wasn't a cousin, right? Or or something. Mm, it's a it, kind yeah, it's of not, sort of a cousin. It's somebody. Sort of, it's somebody he grew up with. Yeah, grew up like with a, yeah, adoptive and, sister. And so and so they uh, his sister. What? His adopted sister. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Damn. <laughs> That's like, weird. Gonna read it again. Um. So, <laughs> so, uh, but you know, and I'll say this too, and I'm I'm uh, going back to what Kirby had said because actually I forgot he reminded me of something uh, vaguely. In the mid '60s, my brother got that uh, uh, issue of. Uh, 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 classics illustrated with uh, Frankenstein, which by the way, I think the cover for that thing sold about a decade ago for about 30,000 bucks. Wow. But uh, so it's probably worth a lot more by now. Uh, but um, I remember I, it was so vague. Uh, I ended up getting it years later and I've got, I think like three copies of it upstairs uh, from different time periods. It was published in the 40s and then again in the 50s and then again in the 70s and everything mm-hmm. and i'm actually and i actually did uh go up and pull down the pdf the other day uh and i to get to that marriage he marries the girl you can tell he does care about her but it's sort of like maybe i'll get away from all this stuff and actually be with this woman and forget all this other stuff but that image in, even in the book, the way it's written, the way Bernie writes and did the illustrations where so many people illustrated and stuff, it is still to this day one of the most disturbing images where Frankenstein opens the door and the monster is throttling his just married wife still in her wedding dress and he's laughing while he's doing it. Mm. It just it's one of the most sick, disturbing images I've I've ever seen. Like the day you get married is the moment that your wife gets killed in front of you, you know? and and the, the the fact that he's an idiot about it because he tells him like i will see you on your wedding night and yeah. all this time he's thinking that the monster is going to kill him and i and maybe it's because i'm already familiar with the story but i'm like victor he's not going to kill you like he's not because you're the only one that you can give him a mate which is what he wants yeah. Uh, so I, I'm like, and that was you know, the thing too. He was mad. We'll tell the audience that uh, you know he he had promised him somebody to be with. He said he'd you know give me a maid. I'll leave. I'll never bother anybody else again. We'll go away. And Victor's in the middle of doing this, and all of a sudden, when he's getting really close to animate the thing, he loses it. You know, takes her, I think, dumps her body out in the ocean or something like that. And yep. it's like, and the monster goes, "Man, oh man, I'm pissed." And then we get the death of his wife or the murder of his wife. Uh, um, it's it's pretty. That to me is the most horrifying moment of the whole of the whole uh, novel. Yeah the uh, the the I will agree with that. That's pretty descriptive, and there's a there's a nice build up to that where you get that moment, uh, um, and it's it's pretty spectacular. The, but I, I think in some ways, in retrospect, one of the most horrifying moments is the ease at which the creature disposes of the young boy. Yeah, um, oh, yeah. Like, that's rough too. That is, I mean, we kind of see, like in the movies, you know, we saw him kill a girl accidentally, you know, various other depictions have had him, uh, you know, interact with children or innocent people. 
Um, but I don't know. Just the idea that uh, he knew what he was doing. It wasn't an accident. He as soon as he got that name, as soon as, soon as he heard as the name Frankenstein, he, yep. he, he, you know, you know, he lost it. That's one of the things about mm-hmm. the Classics Illustrated one doesn't do it that way. It's the it's an accidental death in Classics Illustrated. Of course, no, and it was interesting because when you had Frankenstein's. You know, he was fighting against himself to build the mate and everything and how he was conflicted with it. And then he started thinking through it and saying, this woman creature that he was building as his mate, yeah, his creature, uh, the male, decided, you know, said he would go away into the desert with his mate and disappear and never have anything to do with humanity ever again. But then he started thinking, but what happens if the the mate that he's creating doesn't agree to that or is even more uh, hideous or heinous. more heinous or more, you know, evil than this creature is? And he started putting that together. And that's actually what stopped him from wanting from creating the female. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Good call, Mike. Because, yeah, he's, he goes through that in his head. And actually, that's probably one of the smartest things he does is that he actually thinks about it and says, like, wait, 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 let me let me hold up. And and if I do make her and bring her to life, there's no guarantee that she's going to be interested in him. Uh, she might find him just as hideous as everybody else does. <laughs> oh, exactly. And that's right out of, you know, if you think about it, that's what's right out of Bride of Frankenstein. Yes. Right, that is right uh, depicted in Bride of Frankenstein. So, yeah, you just sort of naturally assume, like, I'm just going to make two people from the dead, and they're going to, you know, they're going to have chemistry, and they're going to get together. But that's, there's mm-hmm. no guarantees to that. No, that doesn't even happen, happen on mobile apps. So, uh, you know. It's... <laughs> <laughs> um, Kirby, uh, we'll, we'll start with you on this one. Um, is there anything else in the book that, either surprised you or that you took away from as being a, a part of the story that uh, maybe you either hadn't seen before or that you just were uh, sort of uh, realizing um, this on this read through. I had forgotten the whole business about the uh, murder of his uh, best friend and how he was uh, accused of it. Henry, mm. Henry Clerval. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I I'd completely forgotten about that part. Uh, and yeah. it was interesting it's, how how he he manages to get out of that, whereas with his cousin, who, who whoever who was um, accused of of killing the little boy, uh, she was basically pushed through and executed in days, and he and he spends months in jail and gets gets out quickly. Yeah. Gets out. Um, yeah, I can't remember. He finds he does find somebody who you know believes him to an extent that yeah. he's innocent, um, and so therefore that's helpful. But yeah, um, and then Justine does confess, um, just because yeah. she's been told that it'll make things easier for her, um, and that's but kind of that never happens in real life. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Mike, what about you? Is anything in this read-through in particular that stood out like, oh, I'd forgotten that, or that's different, I like this better than anything that's been depicted in any of the other stories? Or It's interesting for me because a lot of this, like it said, you know, this is 35, 40 years ago that I've read this. 
and God, that makes me feel so old, but it was just, yes. you know, it just, <laughs> I know, but it was interesting because when Frankenstein finally snapped after his wife was killed that night, which he had full warning of anyway, Yep. you know, and, you know, anytime I would go to the bathroom or I'd walk out of that room, I would have somebody standing in that room with a gun, you know, waiting, you know, you had the warning, you know, well, that he thought he was, the that was there. Yeah. He thought he was a target so that she was fine. She, he's like, I put her to bed and I walked around and I'm oh, like, dude, dude. No, he was stupid <laughs> as hell. I'd be like the guard, the guard standing there and he goes, look, I got a, I got a poop. So you got to stand here while. No, I'm, because I'm the, cre- the creature even said, I'm not going to kill you. I'm just going to make you as miserable as I am. Oh, well, maybe. Well, you no, know, I mean, you got to realize it's still, we're still talking to 18, 1818 sensibilities. I mean, you're, we yeah. are so much better at plot twists nowadays. Oh, I know. But you know, still, it was, it well, was yeah. great. And, and it's a great what? story. It though. fits ego. It fits Victor's ego that he would think that, you know, well, really. Of course. Like, uh, you know, take the time period out of it and all that. Um, but I, I think it, it, it really fits that, that sort of egocentric, um, mentality that victor had about it's well but the thing is you know no the thing also that really got to me was the whole time you saw how weak of a person victor was anytime anyone was killed he took ill yeah you know and (laughs) you know because look for months for months at a time and he woke up one of the times in prison for the murder of one of his friends for his best friend and everything and you know he had to think this creature was killing everyone around him that he was close to it only made sense that it was going to be the wife you know you know next and everything so gordon let me use you as a lab rat for a second again um, again? you're reading it for the first time ever right this is the first time yes okay so when you heard him say i will be with you on your wedding night which sounds kind of painful uh i know right <laughs> really <laughs> wow um promises that, promises that's that, that's that mel brooks humor there that exactly so um did you know even when you read it or did you have any inkling that it was going to be his wife that he was going to kill or did you think maybe or did you think maybe he's just going to mess the, the the proceedings up or i would like to think that story-wise because the the creature had targeted people around him and made it yeah. clear that he was going to make him pay by killing all those around him yeah. that um i would like to think that i just i just reached the conclusion that he was going to come after elizabeth uh, but i have to also say that since i even though this is the first time i've read it i've seen many of the versions of this and elizabeth gets attacked now sometimes she survives in the in the movie and sometimes she doesn't so so i knew that at some point elizabeth was going to be attacked um so i I figured that there was going to be a come to a come to elizabeth moment so to speak um where she was going to find out about what he had done um and she doesn't really i mean (laughs) she i mean she finds out the hard way but um uh she uh and and she's depicted in a kind of a interesting way. Um, I don't think she's given, you know, for quote unquote being, and I know it's a product of the time and everything, but for um, for it being written by a, a woman or a girl, um, 
you know, there's not a lot of strong, there's a lot of women characters and, you know, Elizabeth in particular is probably the main one, but she doesn't really have much of a story on her own. I mean, she's kind of there as just this loving light of compassion that basically just wears away and, and basically is a sort of litmus test for how bad things are going. Right. Right. Did it actually surprise you, Mikey, that, you know, since this is your first time reading this, that it wasn't more similar to the movie? There was a lot of things I was surprised by as far as um, um, a lot of things that, yes, that uh, I was not, because um, I'd seen, and there's been so many different versions. Oh, yeah. You know? God. Um, so, so it's hard to, and I've seen probably about at least 10 of them, you know, so that's, that's a pretty good number to try to juggle with. So I figured, you know, all bets were off. Like, you know, this could go either way. But I think the things that I was most surprised by was the structure of the book and how it was like framed, you know, there's the head framing device upon framing device upon framing device. And, um, and, and, and Victor really um, in most of the depictions outside of the novel, he is a obsessed uh, narcissist that wants to play God. Um, that feels like he can create life, you know? And, and Victor in the book is not, I mean, he might be narcissistic, but he's not obsessed with, with Godhood. Um, in fact, you know, once he does the thing where he creates life, he, it's no, it's so nonchalant to him and he disposes of it, you know, um, and doesn't even really think about it, about what he's done. And he certainly doesn't take like, he's not like out to prove like, Hey, I can make this into a person, you know, instead he discards it like, like trash. Um, it, it was very strange to me that I, that was probably the biggest change, the, the biggest um, uh, character that I was, I didn't expect to be like he was. Um, I don't think I've seen any version of, of the a movie or TV series, whatever. I don't think I've seen any version of Victor that's played like this. Mm-hmm. Not at all. There's, yeah. there's one called, there's a, um, uh, it's not Australian, uh, Austrian. I think there's an Austrian version that's the closest to the novel called terror of frankenstein which huh. is literally straightforward to the book almost down to everything there's it's sort of like what kirby was talking about with classics illustrated there's one or two things they take a little liberty with but if it, if it comes down to it yeah. this is this is the version mm-hmm. and there, there was a version kenneth Branagh wanted to do do it right and it was a mess and he did. Yeah. yeah hey. Kenneth Branagh wanted to do it right. And he did not. Yeah. I, 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 I did think about that when I was reading this, I was like, wow, there's a lot of things that I can see that Kenneth Branagh wanted to bring to this that were from the book that like he tried to um, yeah. more than almost I'd seen anybody else prior to that. Right. So, um, uh, but ultimately, yeah, it, it, it felt it's, it's, it's as close to Mary Shelley's Frankenstein as, Coppola's is to Bram Stoker's Dracula, like, right. and, and you know, and and the 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 fact that they both have the moniker of the author in it is a joke um, to me, but um, and not a very funny one, um, but uh, yeah. So uh, I I kind of I although I'll tell you I'm kind of interested in revisiting that now that I've read the book 
But um, uh, I, I'm going to ask you this. Okay, so um, since I was familiar with the story and, you know, different versions, et cetera, et cetera, when I was reading it, it was really difficult for me to form my own or even Mary's opinion, like a, a depiction of these characters. So like I have actors depictions in my head. Right. And, and I have to say uh, that with Victor, it's always Peter Cushing. It's always Peter Cushing for me. When I was reading this, I, I thought, I, I just thought whatever, like I visualized it, it was Peter Cushing. A very young Peter a young, Cushing. A very young Peter Cushing, right. But was that, what about you guys? Is there any, um, is there any person, any actor that either you thought about when you were reading this or that you feel like, um, you know, depicted that the, one of the characters, it doesn't have to be Victor, it could be the monster or whatever, in a, in a certain way that's definitive of this story? Oh, sure. Um, like you said, for Victor, definitely, you know, the actor you had mentioned, it was Cushing? just Cushing would be awesome. But Christopher Lee for the beat, the creature, you know, I could definitely see that. You and, know who I, you know, who I kept picturing for the creature hmm? was Rory Kinnear. Okay. Uh, Rory Kinnear played uh, the creature in Penny Dreadful. Oh, and yeah, he's... that oh, might be okay. the most like. Uh, creature from the book that I've experienced outside of the book. Actually, you're completely right. I mentioned that to Judy when we were talking about it. It's like it felt like I was reading that creature from Penny Dreadful. Yeah. Right that, there. Yeah. If you guys haven't seen Penny Dreadful, um, it takes a lot of liberties with a lot of the, the gothic tales, but I will say that the depiction of the creature is pretty spot on. Um, like he's eloquent in his speech he has a huge like issue with Victor. Um, Victor's kind of like he is in the book too. I mean, he's not that guy. Uh, that guy I don't know the actor's name. The guy who played Victor was superb. Yeah, Harry Treadaway is uh, yes. the guy who and played. Yes, uh, yes Gordon. I have seen Penny Dreadful. Yeah, it's good. You'd be shocked I, if I, I had. Not, What's that? I've not seen it, but I've seen the picture of the of the monster, uh, and do agree that is very close to yeah. how I picture. The monster in the book. Well, yeah. well and it, he's not as hideous, obviously. No, no. but but how <laughs> he comes into the story because no spoilers. This is in the first episode of Penny Dreadful. Victor creates a second creature, brings it to life, and his original creature comes back and literally tears it apart. Yeah, actually yeah. comes through it. Yeah, announces literally. himself by go, coming through the monster's back and <laughs> ripping his way through his his chest, and then coming like, you know, sort of like uh, that's all, folks. You know, yeah. and and really is the the one that that holds Victor responsible for yeah. for what he's done, uh, mm -hmm. which is what the monster in some ways does in the book, although um, a lot less. Uh, it's you, a lot uh, less, and he wants him to create a mate, also. Oh yeah. When you ask me who who do I plug in, I do that with a lot of film, uh, with a lot of books I read. I go, oh, you know, that just that person reminds me so much of such and such, and I plug them in through the rest of the book just to make it go easier. But I'll say this: uh, I guess this might be the artistic side, my artistic side. I have, I actually designed my own people for this book now i don't mean i sat down with paper but my frankenstein monster is my version 
which I have not seen exactly. You you listen to the description of him coming up off the table for the first time with the thin black lips and all that. And while Wrightson gets really, you know, it gets really close to that description. I've got my own, whereas the arms that are connected to the torso and everything, they don't line up. Like it's all sort of patchwork, even though, like you said, they don't, they don't describe it that way in the book. You're, you're not really certain how he created the creature. It's almost like a marionette, like one arm is slightly larger than the other, and the lips are jet black, and the eyes are sunken way in and everything. And I do that because, you know, to me, I, I just always felt that, you know, if ever, I've ever got a chance to tackle a Frankenstein movie as a director or as an art director or do a book or do my own illustrations of it, that's the way I see it. So, um, you know, and, and everybody's already got, you know, some kind of look to them. So for me, um, oddly enough, the, uh, uh, the, the Kenneth Branagh version, it has Kenneth Branagh playing Frankenstein, but the person I thought reminded me more of Frankenstein was his buddy in the film who played Henry, Henry Clairval, which is Tom Pulse from Amadeus. Yeah. Oh, really? There's a, yeah. there's, yeah, there's a weird kind of, uh mix He's, up there well just because up. of the because of the way he was in amadeus although he was really crazy in that film and i could see him toning <laughs> it down a bit and then being uh being victor yeah so well um man and, and you know look i know lots of people have talked about this uh um you could do a whole podcast on uh the book and the implications of the book um and and, and everything like that and i think you know it's a really good introduction uh, I definitely encourage people to read it. And um, as we wind down here, uh, just go around real quick and uh, your um, overall feelings about the book. Um, we'll start with you, Mark. I feel like um, it's great to have a time capsule where you get to see somebody's fantastical thoughts from 200 years ago. Uh, 200 years ago. Well, actually, if it's 18, uh, 1818, it's, uh, uh, you said it was published 1818 or 1820. Anyway, uh, from 200 years ago, you, you get to see this. Yes, we have to supply some information. We're a different breed now. We have Game of Thrones and Star Wars and everything else, but, but, you know, use a little intelligence when you're reading it and you really have uh, uh, it's like a time machine back into the past of, to the way people thought. I still think that there's lots of papers written on this novel that try to, to help put you back in that time period. What was going on in the world? What wars were going on? What was going on politically? What was the, you know, what situations were women in, et cetera, et cetera. But I think if you, if you, you know, if you take that with that, you know, sitting, you know, on your shoulder, I, I think it's a pretty amazing thing that we're allowed to to visit this, given the age. So that's my that's my thought. Very cool, Kirby. Ah, uh, I think I was really surprised at, at how much I liked it uh, with my reread, um, and. Like Mark said, it's 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 an interesting look at look back at uh, time capsule of just 
I'm trying to think of just how how to how to articulate what I'm trying. <laughs> trying to, was expecting the question. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. Uh, yeah, but you, oh, you, one, you, one thing. One thing. Uh, it, she was actually wrote it in 1816. Is when they uh, all got together uh, because that was the year without a summer. Mount Tambora. Had, right. Oh, right, 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 right. Well, uh, she started it then. Yes. Yeah. But it was published in 1818, and then. Yeah. You know, the first yeah, time it was published with her name on it was 1823. Though. That's right. So yeah, that's how you want to talk I, about I, I was, a, a time capsule. Like that's how that's how things were. They couldn't get it published with her name on it uh, yeah. for the first few years. And I, I can't remember when the play, the first version of the play came out, but I think that was one of the things. I think that that and the novel were the thing that really cemented it. I don't think it, I mean the novel did well and. But I think that there was the people turning it into a, a, a play production that also helped. I know, you know, that, that yeah. and Dracula both, and then films. Yeah, there's yeah, some absolutely. interesting, there's some interest, interesting illustrations out there, and say, like in some of the Wikipedia articles about how the monster was depicted in the plays. Uh, of course, much closer to the description in the book, but it took. Uh, the Boris Karloff version before uh, we we got what is now everyone thinks of. Well, the Karloff version is definitely a product of uh, the Art Deco period, the 1920s and 30s with industrialization and that flat head is, this is a product of man, man man-made. It's a man-made thing. Oh, interestingly. It's brilliant. It's actually pretty brilliant. I've got, I've got two copies of the book. And the copy that I've mainly been reading out of has Karloff on the front cover. <laughs> yeah, there's there for most people. Yeah. The Classics Illustrated comic, he's got a flathead. Oh, yeah. 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 They, oh, they Mike, what about, uh, but Mike, what about you? About the thinking of something, in, instead of man-made, something that's man-made, how about something that's uh, a, a female-written? Uh, what, <laughs> what is your uh, last word on the book? Well, it isn't Frankenstein. It's Frankenstein. <laughs> you know you have to remember that folks and you know and but it's interesting because you know when i was reading this book i was completely picturing the creature looking like bernie wrightson's version of yeah, the care of the one. creature sure. and you know deformed and you know hideous and just barely human looking not the flat head with the bolts coming out of its neck i don't even know where they came up with that you know you know it was just connect electrodes exactly you know but they don't talk about electricity at all bringing the creature to life at all in this because that technology wasn't you know you know really established in 18 12 18 13 when she started writing this and so it was just interesting and it was an amazing book it was an amazing read it was daunting at parts and there were times i was like oh my god am i gonna make it but i made it because it is long it is but it's interesting and you feel so many mixed emotions for these characters there's times you pity the creature there's times you pity Frankenstein. There's times you pity, you know, think, are these people going to die in the ice, you know, up north yeah. in the ocean? And it's just, it's just amazing. Where's this book going? And then 
the creature almost has a symbiotic link with his father, you know, being, you know, able to follow him anywhere around the world, including knowing that his father was dying in his last moments on the boat. And it was, it was just, it was, it was just amazing. And how she captured that was wonderful. Dracula was good. This was great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, um, yeah, I guess we're going to continue to make that comparison. Um, I I still like, Uh, I I still like Dracula more. Dracula is your book. I know Gordon, you've always told me that. But I will say, I will say, look, I get it. You know, Um, a lot of times you read classics, you know, things that uh, you're supposed to, you know, like, or these are supposed to be like the, the, the masterpieces, you know, but uh, you read them and you're like, yeah, I don't really see what the, the fuss was about. But in this case, um, it, it, I totally get it. I mean, this this book, even though and it stands out because it's unlike any of the adaptations that have been made since then, at least as far as direct uh, story and, and characterization. But uh, it's apparent to me that, like, it, like, like, and Kirby mentioned, in 1816, you know, uh, Byron and, and Pierce Shelley and Mary Shelley got together um, and, uh, you know, tried to, tried to see who could tell the best ghost story, right? And Mary came out with this, this, which it's not a straight up thriller, right? It's not something that you're going to read and uh, it, it doesn't have a lot of haunting images. There's not a lot of shocking like imagery here. But I, one thing that I think the main thing that, Sherry, that Mary Shelley does here is she gives you something to think about, which the more you think about it and the more you're inspired by it, it's chilling. Like there are a lot to, to digest here. And there's no, like, it's no coincidence that this book, you know, spawns. 30, 40, hundreds of different adaptations and interpretations because it's so, uh, it's so inspirational and everybody's going to take something out of it. And, uh, um, and yeah, I mean, like I said, we could, we could spend a lot more time talking about all those reiterations, but uh, uh, we just don't have it. So, <laughs> so thank you guys. Uh, I appreciate it as always. And uh, uh, we're going to be right back and close up the show. Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about the 2019 Are You Afraid of the Dark 3-episode miniseries. Are You Afraid of the Dark is a series any child who watched Nickelodeon in the 90s remembers. It followed a group of teens, the Midnight Society, as they met each week to tell scary ghost stories around the campfire. The show lasted for six years and was always a favorite of mine on Teen Nick every Friday night, since finding spooky kid-friendly shows on TV in the 90s wasn't always easy. The new series is a three-part self-contained story about the new Midnight Society and a new girl named Rachel who moves to their Oregon town. Rachel is invited to tell a ghost story. She tells a story of the Carnival of Doom. Then, weird stuff starts happening in the town. The carnival from her story shows up and people start missing. 
this was a new approach for the Are You Afraid of the Dark series since the appeal was they each told ghost stories every week and you got to see some character development within the Midnight Society over time. But this series focuses way more on the Midnight Society instead of them telling their stories. I really hope if Are You Afraid of the Dark continues, they keep the same formula as the original series and try to not focus on the drama about the Midnight Society since the fun was watching the new spooky stories each week, not necessarily seeing these characters interact and have high school drama. But overall, the series is fun. It's a spooky watch that anyone can enjoy, and I would highly recommend this to all ages since it's a creepy story that is completely family friendly and everyone can enjoy, even if you have those kind of squeamish kids that don't necessarily like spooky stuff. Well, Thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Air Station One podcast. Let's thank our guests for being here tonight. Kirby, thank you so, so much. Uh, Thanks for uh, having me on again. And oh, dude, you know you're always welcome. And thanks for the opportunity to revisit a book that I needed to revisit. <laughs> and you did. Yeah. It was awesome. Anything you want to shout out about, sir? Yeah, I can uh, be found every week on the 20 Megabyte Doctor Who podcast, where we are going through every single Doctor Who story. We just started... Uh, the fifth doctor and we're going to be recording about four to doomsday next week i'm sorry oh okay enjoy <laughs> actually i don't know about this i'm star- sorry stuff there are like seven stories that i have not seen and that's one of them really i i, I would put it to you mike that it's better than the one that we had to watch for air station who this week Oh, come on. <laughs> what was that one? The flying bus to- going back to Disney Land in the 1959? Come on. I like that one. Of course you do. <laughs> it was actually better than I remember it being. Uh, it's uh, going to be fun to talk about. Yes, it is. That's going to be on this week's Earth Station Who. We are going to be talking all about the Seventh Doctor, Delta, and the Bannermen. love Delta and the Bannermen. It was actually a lot better than it. And Mel was great because she was barely in it. So it was even better. Wow. Yeah. So. All right. But thank you so, so much, Kirby and Mr. Mark. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, Frankenstein to me, it was like the first day I ever had uh, internet and a web browser. The first thing I typed in when I saw a web browser, the first word I typed in was Frankenstein. Really? Oh, wow. What is it? Yep. <laughs> The second thing was Raquel Welch, but, uh, <laughs> but and that is actually a true story. But the thing is, is that with Frankenstein, it was what can, what is this, what is this thing capable of? You know, what, what can I find out that I don't know? Um, you know, I've got, uh, plenty of projects coming up. Some of them that I've got a, you know, I've got a gag order on until they come out. There's some magazine covers, uh, uh, some Blu-ray covers, but if I told you I'd have to kill you. <gasps> that's not going to happen um, but I'm very busy 
doing uh, a lot of artwork, whether it's uh, for publication or uh, commissions. Um, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy with the, with the workload, uh, lately. Yeah, and we are happy for you. And I think it's uh, fair to say that for, to keep up with everything you're doing, the best place is Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the webpage is just sort of there. It's like maybe a placeholder for my email address, but other than that, come, come to Facebook, you know, I, I keep it pretty open, you know, uh, and, uh, always posting, uh, artwork I'm doing. So, you know, uh, Mark Maddox, the guy in Tallahassee, that's, that's me. Awesome, dude. We're so happy you're doing so well because your work is just spectacular as always. Thank you. I appreciate it. And of course, Mr. Mike Gordon, we made it through another one, sir. We did. We made it through the countdown to Halloween. It's been a great October. It feels like it's been shorter than uh, usual, but it's been a lot of fun and always my pleasure. Awesome. Anything you want to shout out about? Yeah, I can't let uh, this month go. Uh, we've got so much turned around with everything else that we were doing that uh, I really haven't talked about um, the Adams Family movie, which I saw for the first time uh, and uh, this past weekend, and I loved it. Um, awesome. If you are a fan of, certainly if you're a fan of the series like I am, if you're a fan of the, the original art cartoons, and if you're a fan of actually the uh, the movies that were done with Raul Julia and Angelica Houston, like I think it's it's a nice mix of all of those things. Uh, it's really funny. Um, there's some really dark, twisted humor in there. Um, it is it is targeted more for kids. It's the same kind of uh, I'd say atmosphere as the 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 TV series was. Um, it pulls a lot from the TV series, although most most of them do, because that's where most of the I think the Adams family was really formed. Formed, but uh, the the cast, the voice cast is is great, um, and uh, I want to see it again. I said uh, I saw it for the first time uh, this weekend, but uh, I, I do want to see it again and again because I, I really enjoyed it that much. So they did a great job with that one. That is awesome. That is, it was such a great treat because remember last year when we were at monster rama mm -hmm. we did our adams family panel and we were talking that we had seen the initial sketches of what they were doing for this movie right and we were kind of impressed because they did seem to match uh charles adams original design to the family but we weren't i don't think we were exactly confident in the the the, the people behind making this so we weren't sure what to expect and uh, i'm very pleased to say that uh it's it's really good that is awesome that is cool i'm glad you enjoyed it i'll wait for video it'll be cool yeah, i'm gonna work for video <laughs> but i got some big news for my shout out i'm very happy to say yes it is only the end of october but guess what folks september is right around the corner and i am very happy to announce that i am going to be a guest once more at dragon con so I got my notice today. So yay me. I've been invited back and I am looking forward to going forward with all these plans that we had talked about. And it was like, God, if they don't invite me back, you know, do we have to cancel all these fun things we have planned? So I'm happy to say that I am going to be there. I'm not going to really mention anything that we have planned until we start working with the Dragon Con report for 2020. So that's not till January. So you don't have to really hear us talking about it. So till then, 
So it should be kind of fun. But I'm very excited already. And, you know, my hotel room's booked. I'm ready. So I think we're going to be in good shape. So yay. All right. Congratulations, sir. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a lot of hard work, you know, filling that application out and sending it in. <laughs> but it's great to be doing they that. They are really getting back to people quickly uh, yes. this year so far. So that's good. That's good news. Oh, exactly. I'm actually really shocked how quickly they are going this year and getting around because I know they waited a long time last year mm-hmm. and everything. So, and there's a lot of guests announced late and such. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how many guests names we can mess up starting in January. That's <laughs> always, you know, the con report is right around the corner as we like to say. Speaking of right around the corner, our next episode is right around the corner and we are going out to the street. That's right. We are going to be looking at the 50th anniversary of Sesame Street. That's right. The children's, was it the children's workshop? What was it? Children's television workshop. And PBS. That's right. We all grew up with it, except for Mark. And no, I, I was there. I was yeah, Mr. Smartass. <laughs> I was actually there the day it launched. I was Where are you? You're you're on set. Awesome. No, I didn't say that. Once again, Mr. Smart ass. What I was saying is my mom said there's a new show coming on and my sisters and I turned it on. It was Sesame Street. We saw the first episode. That is awesome. You you clearly remember it. Yes, it was. It was fun. It was. It was good. That's cool. You know, that's awesome. So, yeah, so we're going to be talking about 50th anniversary. I think it's going to be a lot of fun and we're going to have some great guests on for that one. And we got a lot to talk about. And as we mentioned at the very beginning of the show, Earth Station One, episode 500, don't forget, mark the date. It is the 20th of November at 9.30 p.m. We are going to be recording live at Infinite Realities in Tucker, Georgia. It's going to be a lot of fun, and we got a lot of things planned for it. So until then, my name is Mike Faber. We will see you here next time on the Air Station One podcast. Peace. And we are done. Happy Halloween, everybody. You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Air Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.